Let me pray for us. Come now, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these your faithful who have gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. (laughs) The Christian year begins with this day, the first Sunday of the season of Lent, of of Advent. Whoa, did I move forward in the church calendar. It is a four-week penitential season of preparing our hearts for the celebration of the remembrance of the birth of Jesus. Note that this season was originally conceived as a penitential season, meaning that it would be a season of prayer, of silence, of waiting, of sacrifice, of fasting, and of caring for the poor. In our current culture, we give nods to the caring for the poor, right? Salvation Army Collection, Angel trees, meals for the homeless on Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, there is some caring for the poor and the unhoused and the hungry. But that other stuff, not so much. The prayer and the fasting and the, and the sacrifice, all of the things that go with the penitential season, the silence and the waiting. Not this season. We're, we're just not that good at it during the season that leads us to Christmas, right? I mean, think of it. The Christmas decorations were already in the stores before Halloween. We don't wait so well, do we? We go fast. And if you're like me, you probably spent some time as we listened to today's gospel reading wondering, where's the baby? (laughs) I remind you, that the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel we begin a years-long journey with this year, doesn't have a birth story. Jesus arrives fully grown, an adult man, and it begins in Mark with the story of his baptism in the River Jordan that is given to him by his cousin, John the Baptist. Now, Luke and Matthew... They've got the birth stories. You know, they've got great characters, high drama. I mean, it's easy and very tangible. I mean, we put out little crushes of a manger scene to remind us of that, these spectacular stories. I mean, think of it in Luke, you know, Mary and Joseph, and she is pre- pregnant out of wedlock. And oh my gosh... What are they going to do? And so they go forward with their betrothal and marriage, and she has to ride a donkey all the way to Bethlehem, pregnant. And, and then, you know, they get there, and there's no place for them, so they move into a barn, and then there are angels on the hillside, and shepherds come, and the baby. Great drama. And in Matthew, the dreams, Joseph has dreams like his forefather, Joseph of the amazing technicolor dream. And then 
once again, the wedding's on, and then it's off, and then it's back on. And in the midst of all of that, a star appears, and three or four or five or ten or fifteen, we don't even know the number. We guess because of the gifts it was three, but there might have been ten or twelve of them. Magi arrive from far away. Listen, the drama in these stories is so very great. Here, Stephen, thank you. So very great. But Mark, yeah, no. No bab no birth story at all. We may find ourselves asking, well, what's up with Mark? Why all the talk of endings? And that no one, not even Jesus, knows the hour when the time will come. And instructions to keep awake. Now, I want to tell you something about this reading. When we hear Jesus say, but no one knows the time, we immediately think Armageddon, apocalypse, the end of the world. Well, I don't know if you noticed in this reading, there was no real talk of that. There was talk of paying attention and staying awake and being ready for whenever the householder comes. Staying awake and being ready whenever the risen Christ arrives, whenever God is shown to us, whenever the Holy Spirit blows through as a mighty wind, that we are called to be ready and awake and paying attention. What we know about the Gospel of Mark is that it's believed by many biblical scholars to be the very first of the Gospels to circulate among Jesus' followers. Matthew and Luke come years later and tend to play off of each other and uh, added some birth stories for their listeners, for the people that they were specifically writing to. Our book club in which we're reading and discussing the book Holy Disruption by a Presbyterian pastor, Tracy Daub, we discovered last Sunday and then again on Wednesday that the whole of the Gospel of Mark is really an apocalyptic writing. Now, when you hear that word apocalyptic, what do you think? I know what you think. I know all the words. We hear annihilation, cataclysm, catastrophe, Devastation, but that's really not what the word means. The word means revealing, uncovering, unveiling. In other words, we are to pay attention because God is up to something and God is in the midst of reordering what we know, unveiling to us, revealing to us. And that is why it's important for us to stay awake. What we hear in today's reading is from chapter 13 of the Gospel of Mark. It is called the Little Apocalypse because it's not as big as some of the prophets and their apocalyptic pronouncements. I mean, clearly, Mark is drawing on the writings of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel where there's big apocalyptic writings. But you see... To really hear what Mark is saying, 
we first have to enter the shadows of those places where all hope seems lost. I don't know about you, those are all little apocalypses for us in our lives. Every time we bump up against something that makes us feel that all hope is lost is a little apocalypse. And so Mark is, is showing us this. And, and in fact, um, this is exactly the world in which the people of Israel were living at the time of Mark's writing of this gospel. It is estimated that the Gospel of Mark shows up somewhere around the year 70 AD. And what is important about that year is it's the year that the Roman Empire came in and raised the Temple of Jerusalem. I mean, the people were already under oppression by the Roman Empire. They were already starving, many of them dying young, many of them being crucified along roads in Galilee and other places of the, of the country. They, they were living a very oppressed existence. They were living in an apocalypse. And then the Roman Empire comes in and wipes out their temple, which was where they understood the very heart of God to dwell. The, the, the devastation, I mean, think in our own lives, in our own time, how we felt when the Twin Towers collapsed. It's that kind of apocalyptic feeling. And what the people needed to hear most of all was about God showing up, coming into their world of drawing near and being present with them. That's what they needed. They needed to know that God would show up. And that is exactly what the Gospel of Mark offers in the person of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. So maybe now it's time for me to ask you, how is the most wonderful time of the year going for you? Some of us will say, oh, pretty good. Others might say, not, not so sure. Some of us will say it remains to be seen. Uh, in our world, in our country today, people are suffering as did the people of Israel. Suffering, anxious, exhausted, grieving all over the world. Daub reminds us that in times like these, we want a big God. And we want our big God to come down now and show up and change things. That's where we go, right? Well, we ought to. We're in good company. The prophet Isaiah said as much. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. We just sang about that. Open up the heavens and come down. It is a huge plea for people who are struggling. And it's exactly what we want to have happen. We want God to come in and fix it like a superhero, right? And what we forget is that we're part of that changing. We have to be part of that transformation. We have to be people who are willing to step into the shadows and help God's realm to begin to spark and to come alive. You know, 
we want to call God down and it's what we want to do. Our problem is, would we notice if God did show up? We're so consumed and such consumers. Would we even notice? St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the great medieval theologian of love, once insisted that there were three Advents. The first Advent we will celebrate in our world on December 24th and 25th. We will remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus. That's considered the first arrival, right? The third arrival is the one that we anticipate when God will transform all of creation into God's realm. And that's the one that Jesus talks about of us not being able to pin that down at any time. So whenever you hear some evangelists telling you that the world's going to end at a certain time, you can bet that they're wrong. Because Jesus says, no one knows, not even me, right? But it's the second advent, because you see, there's this first advent that gives us hope because a child was born. In fact, God did tear open the heavens and come down. And the third advent happens when God becomes manifest in all of creation. It's this second advent that we need to pay attention to because we're in it. The second advent is the continually, continual coming of Jesus, the continual coming of the Holy Spirit, the continual coming of God in our midst. And that is what Jesus is saying. Be awake. Pay attention. The remembrance of the third advent, the first advent gives us hope because a child is born. And the second and the third advent gives us hope because God's realm will come. And in the second advent, we get to be in this present moment, set between these two terms that offer us hope in the midst of our trials when we awaken to God's presence with us. And the way we awaken to that hope is by practicing wonder. And this is how it works. In Advent, we are invited to wait on and expect the unexpected. We are invited to wait upon and look for and be awakened to and expect the unexpected to happen. And that's not always easy. It's sometimes very, very challenging. You know, um, this is how it works. No one expected a baby born in a barn to poor parents and then crucified as a common criminal to be the chosen one. But this is how God reshaped humanity. You see, we can awaken to this hope that God's confrontation with the world's evil was carried out by a messianic figure who made himself vulnerable and died a martyr's death. We can awaken to the hope that Jesus didn't come to destroy the world, 
but to transform the world through relationships, relationships with each other and with God and with all of creation. In Jesus, we discover the fact that God did tear open the heavens and has come to us and is with us even now. And if we are going to practice wonder, we have to begin where Jesus began, born into a world filled with shadows. To really hear what Mark is saying, we first need to enter the shadows and face the difficult truths of our lives and our world. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants to go there. But as long as we push that away and we don't enter into the realities of our lives and our world, we will never be able to encounter the wonder. It is then, if we do that, that we can remember that a key message of Advent and Christmas is that such shadows are precisely the place where Jesus goes. And the church is called to go as well. And once we have entered those shadows, both intellectually and emotionally, from there we can proclaim the good news and do the work that is ours to do in the world, reminding you that we are not called to do everything. We are called to wonder, to imagine, to dream, to stand in awe of the revelation of God in our midst and then do the thing that you and I are called to do the work that is ours to do. And from there, we can experience the hope that rings out when all hope is lost. Remember, the essence of apocalypse is that God is being revealed, is that God is reordering the world right in front of us, that God is here, and so all of us can awaken and be watchful to the unexpected signs of hope and wonder all around us. The great teacher Richard Rohr, who is, by the way, I believe, a mystic of our faith, says that the roots of ultimate insight are found on the level of wonder and radical amazement in the depth of awe, in our sensitivity to the mystery. We have to make space for that. We have to practice that. And we have to awaken to hope. The practicing of wonder, the awakening to hope, is transformative. It will change your life. This uh, thing with Palestine and Israel is among the most difficult things because the situation is fraught with problems. And not just problems today, but historic problems. So much of which humanity has created, right? But who could have expected? Hi! <laughs> who would have expected that? <laughs> How could we have expected that in all that was going on and all the violence and all the brutality that there would be a pause and that people would find their way back home? People incarcerated in Israel, Palestinians, and hostages. 
that they would be able to... I know, I know this, the fighting started again, but could you have thought that that was going to happen? I couldn't have thought that there would be a break, that the, that the oppression of this situation would lift, right? So why not expect it again? Why not look for it again? Why not pray for it again? Why not expect that God is going to move in ways we could never expect? <clears throat> Last night at the dinner, I sat next to Isadora and Chase. They are from Greenville. They drive all the way down here for this event. They are an amazing young couple, and they've worshipped with us before, and after we finished last night, they said, we're going away for a month to Brazil, which is where Isadora's from, but we'll be back, and we'll be online, so if you're online, hi. <laughs> um, but as we sat there, we just had some of the most marvelous conversations, and they started talking about their uncle, who uh, a while back had been in Alaska and was in a plane crash. And survived. Now, some of the people didn't, but he did. And and the plane was upside down, and a branch of the tree, it was in a tree, and the branch of a tree had pierced his leg above the knee. And he thought as he was laying there, well, I guess I'll unbuckle. And he unbuckled and fell to the ground. And he started laughing because he said, well, who would have thought? Who would have thought that, you know, I'd still be alive? And he took a belt and put a tourniquet on his leg. And, oh, by the way, he's diabetic. And so they fully expected him to lose his leg. And then Isadora told me about the surgery they did and how they took these, this bone that was split and put magnets on each end of it that gradually and gradually and gradually drew that bone back together and that he is walking. He did not lose his leg. He is walking, and they will be seeing him later in the year. God invites us to expect the unexpected. And not that we won't suffer the loss of loved ones or the struggles of life, but even in the midst of that, there is hope. God invites us to this and invites us to do the work in the world that is ours to do. So keep awake. Pay attention. It will transform you. Amen.